A Shared Curiosity, a podcast and community for parents and educators. Hear from pioneering educators who are taking risks and shaping the future of education. So what are you, are you wanting to change the whole system? Like, what do, what do you want? What ideally I'd want is for every school not to be us because no one um, is ever going to be the same and all schools mm. have their own curriculum and their local, what it looks like. like and an inner city school is not going to be able to do the things that we can do. But I, what I want is for schools to be developmentally appropriate and mm. what I want is for them to be ready for students, not students to be ready for them. Kia ora koutou, ko Kate Tokoingawa, and welcome to A Shared Curiosity. It is such a pleasure to introduce to you Leslie Allen. Leslie, she's a teacher, she's also a principal. She's been using Learning Through Play for a very long time. She is the founder and creator of a project called Number Agents, which incorporates drama and role play to teach maths. Uh, she has an incredible blog where she is very open and sharing all her research and her knowledge and experiences. And after finishing this interview, I was just left with huge amounts of hope that that it, it could happen. Uh, we could do things differently and not just one or two fringe dwellers in a school, a whole school. We start the interview talking about a very provocative letter that she'd written to the ministry about her daughter and her daughter was similar to her and went through school and and just really went under the radar and she's she's challenging them about that. Why hasn't this changed? I know you're going to enjoy, enjoy this interview. Kakite. My daughter and I are very similar. My daughter's 17. She's in year 12, just finishing off. Can't wait to leave. Mm. Uh, and just the definition of intelligence and what it is to be, to fit into a system that doesn't fit most is really sad to me. And, and my mother and I have had lots of discussions about how school was the same for mum, mm. the same for me, and now the same for my daughter. And it's just wrong. And yeah, the definition of what it means to to be successful is very narrow, and yeah, the system just doesn't cater for all children, or even a quarter of children. Very sadly, and my hope is that that will change. And there are many high schools around the country changing. Mm. Have a north, very small place, and we're not uh, very good at changing. Um, yeah, so I guess it's it's just wanting something different for the children coming through. And my daughter suffers with huge social anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, worse than I was when I was her age. And, um, and I guess the system and social and everything impacts on that. Mm. But just, just the system's um, understanding of mental well-being mm. is so limited. And they think you look okay, so you are okay, mm. and you're not okay. Yeah, what they don't realise is they're not okay. Um, and, yeah, so that's where that letter came out of, because I would love to see children achieving success for who they are. What, do you think there's this one kind of success criteria that fits all? Like what's your definition of success? Um, that they are allowed to follow their strengths 
and their passions and that school should fit that. I'd love schools to actually give them the, well, you hear about high schools now letting them go in, um, particularly in the senior level and think about what they want to do and shape their curriculum around that. So my daughter's very much into the social sciences and it was pretty frowned on that she would drop mathematics and sciences um, in favour of humanities, but that's where her passion lies. So I think my definition of success is that who they are as a person is embraced so that they can have an impact on the world because if they're forced into a box they don't fit into, they're never going to impact on the world. It's really sad to see that dying. You, you watch your teenager's eyes slowly glaze over. <laughs> and when I wish to go back to primary school because she was here with me, yeah. it's incredibly sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you always had that viewpoint? When did things shift for you in, in, in viewing education differently? Um, I think my viewpoint to secondary has always been like that in terms of um, as soon as I came out of secondary school and realised, because I was never a prefect, you know, my big thing is we're not recognised for who we are. So mm. every measure of what a person is good at in high school, I never met. I'd go to the work um, um, advice counsellors and, and tell them I wanted to be a comedian. And they would be like, well, we can't provide for that. You can't be a comedian. That's ridiculous. <laughs> And and it was always actually what I wanted to be. It was a stand-up comedian. <laughs> but in terms of success, you know, I wasn't seen as I was just average Joe Bloggs who did well in past school, but wasn't seen as a leader, wasn't seen as anything by any marker, just one of the many. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it amused me that later on, I have the strength as a leader that was never embraced through school and could have been. And I see that very strongly in my daughter. And and I see it as my job to give her that now um, because school doesn't. So I guess it came about when I left school mm. and actually realised, hey, I am a successful human being and I do have good good things about me. And I should have been seen for who I was. And if I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, someone should have actually helped me. Um, not that I probably would have ended up there, but, you know, it would have been nice for people to have an interest in who I was. Yeah. I don't feel that someone really knew me. Um, mm. And I still see that now with her because she's hard to know. Mm. And those children that are easy to know are received well. And those children that make it hard to get to know them aren't. Only um, the arts teachers and the humanities teachers, they make an effort. Mm. Who they are. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, sad. So then I guess for her, I think in terms of her anxiety, which has crippled a lot of what she is, but she's incredibly brave and strong, Mm. um, is I think back to what a new entrant year was like. And I was her teacher. Mm. And and we were academic then, very academic. And so I think about her journey through primary school and how different it could have been mm. if social and emotional well-being had been at the front instead of the back of what we were doing. Wow. Um, I guess that's what I want to give children now that come in like her with all those traits of anxiety but give them coping mechanisms from day one mm. rather than it being something they have to visit a psychologist for later on. 
So how are you catering for the social and emotional skills of the kids at your school at the moment? So that's primarily our role is um, number one. So right up to year six. So that's in the front of our teachers' minds is that. So social emotional well-being is at the forefront. So in year one to three, that's that's our prime prime role Mm -hmm. and that's mostly through play and through engaging socially with children when they have issues or when they need restorative conversations lots of actually specific teaching of how do I cope with big feelings and that feelings are okay and um, what do I do about it when I'm feeling this way right up um, and just continuing to make that a focus with Tuakana Tana throughout so that there's that emotional resilience coming through strongly for our younger ones and seeing older ones as, as people they can go to for help. So trying to build up that family that we're all together in this and mm. our focus is kindness and empathy and citizenship and so that's been at the core of what we do. So, um, yeah, it's just actually the primary focus is on that and, and the academic comes out of it, but it's not driving what we do. Mm. How's that accepted amongst your community? And then I'm thinking wider community, like the ministry and, and so forth. Yeah, the ministry have never had an issue with it. Um, and they are often put up as a barrier, and I don't believe they are. Mm. Uh, they, I believe that things are tracking towards where we've gone already anyway Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of what the curriculum is will change quite radically quite soon I'm hopeful of Uh, so the ministry have always been really supportive our kids do well if you're doing data they do well data wise they did well when we had national standards they do well when we don't have national standards they're happy content we don't have stand down suspensions expulsions we don't hit any of those radars we're really self-sufficient so teachers are really good at drawing on their knowledge to help individuals and then if we ask for help they know we Mm. need help so there's that good relationship there in terms of the community I think um they come here for that reason now we are Mm. a small zone so we don't have the big zone so most of our children are out of zones okay Uh, yeah so a lot of people now come for the play-based learning and they come because of who we are and we embrace the um kiva anti-bullying program when it first kind of came about in New Zealand. And that kind of reflects, and parents really love that, that there's a proactive approach to giving children a voice in terms of bullying and concentrating on that kind of thing. So all of that's been really well received. Um, So, yeah, and I always say (laughs) that you take us as we are, and this Mm. is who we are, very clear on everything you can find online, who we are. So there's no hiding it. We're not gorgeous on the outside. Our environment is kids' space. Um, We're not one of those schools that's going to wow you with this amazing admin area. It's all on the inside. So (laughs) it's about, yeah, and you take us for who we are and, and you come to us knowing that we will do our absolute best. Um, I'm curious like I want to go into how you got into play but I just a quick question about are you tracking the students that are leaving your school not we do anecdotally through conversations they do really well at intermediate and they go on to do really well at, at high school um but not through any formal formal way just 
um, our intermediate, because they go to one intermediate, so that's easy enough to do, really love getting our kids. Yeah. Uh, so they're quite resilient and uh, independent and have growth mindsets and all those things that are great going into intermediate, but we've never actually sat down and, and said it's really just anecdotal. Mm. So how did you get into play? Can you talk about that journey? Yeah, so five or six years ago now, I have 2012 in my head, but I'm not sure if that's right. Um, so we had a growing number of children coming with low oral language, and we were increasingly deficit thinking and blaming the families they were coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and and thinking, you know, it's just not good enough. What are these years doing? Why are they not picking this up? These kids can't recognise their name. You're so much blaming going. We were frustrated. Um, but instead of looking for solutions, we were basically looking at the problem and blaming other people for it. And um, then we had lots of kids coming in that we were probably diagnosing with auditory processing. Mm-hmm. So they struggled to follow instructions. They struggled to keep anything in their head. That then even um, normal dances that previously they'd been able to do, they kind of looked at us like, "I've got no idea what you're telling me." It was like we were talking in <laughs> language. Um, and and it just so happened this one child X <clears throat> who really befuddled me. So didn't respond to anything mm. we did. Um, I just suddenly thought well it's got to be to do with how much he can keep inside there mm-hmm. if he can't listen to instruction it's got to be connected to the brain in some way so we started a very very basic nursery run program with him so where he had to learn three nursery rhymes off by heart he had these nursery rhymes around his neck as well as like he he loved wearing them and, and challenge people would challenge him to remember them out the playground mm-hmm. and his learning sport was working with them with these nursery rooms. It was the only thing we were doing. And the difference that made was remarkable, and it was just three nursery rooms. And he suddenly began to be able to follow instructions and keep information in his head. Now, I hadn't connected that to working memory at that time. Mm. I was way off connecting that. Um, I knew, I think I knew innately what I was doing, but I hadn't actually done any brain research. So it was all just going with your gut stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, it worked so well. I thought, well, what about if he was in a class of, say, 10 and they went out for a day and that's what they focused on? So what if oral language and all of that? So, yeah, old, good old PMP, that kind of approach was their mm-hmm. focus for the day. So it wasn't, again, it wasn't about play. It was about oral language talk to learn, spending the day with a teacher aide. So a learning support teacher aide who's incredible. Um, should have been a teacher um, but is amazing and mm. put her hand up to run that class and I had a teacher as well that was keen to do it so they worked together in that classroom the changes for those 10 meeting once a week um, were great and I mean, initially actually they only met for half an hour a day mm-hmm. and then we met at a day we're incredible they seemed something seemed to click in terms of I feel happy here they became um they appeared to become more emotionally available able to regulate a bit better the social groupings were more positive um and also those two teachers talked about um being able to engage with them in a different way 
Mm-hmm. And then we heard about the Longworth course, and it must have been right back when that all started. Mm. So they both went to the Longworth first course and came back with that. And then so that class gradually transitioned from oral language and taught to learn and PMP to a play-based learning class. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's continued. So we still do that now. So 10 children in our newest cohort always go out and have a whole term of that. So it's Mm -hmm. part of our transition process. And so I really couldn't deny the results that happened within that. It was pretty remarkable. So we just, uh, we actually started with discovery time um, and we'd group together some classes and we'd do very much teacher-directed chosen activities, but the children would Mm self-select. We saw how happy that made them. And those activities slowly became more open. And then we opened a junk shed, um, our, our discovery shed, we call it. Now it's just full of junk, which the whole school uses now. Mm-hmm. And, and they were allowed to do that at discovery time. And we saw how positive that was and how our older kids love dressing up and putting high heels and, and fully tutus on and um, how they just, the, the play and everything was incredible. And I guess it's just slowly invaded our days, Mm. very, very slowly until we gradually um, deleted things from our classroom. So we deleted most of the teacher-directed busy work activities like um, uh, just task boards, uh, reading responses, things that we were doing, um, requirements like sitting and writing silently, Mm -hmm. those things just slowly dissipated and disappeared until our classroom became more like it was play a lot of the time mm-hmm. and then we kept culling until basically play is a predominant mode of working mm. wow so you were still in the classroom at that point right yeah I'm still in the classroom three days a week yeah. oh wow yeah 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 so I wow. have two office days hence why I'm so hard to get hold of <laughs> I'm still the new entrant teacher yeah and can you talk a little bit about number agents so when did that come up yeah so uh, as a school we've been on a journey with um, authentic meaningful engaging learning it was probably about 2015 2014 2015 we started using a dramatic approach called mentor the expert and it's a playful, dramatic approach that poses children in a company, an imagined company, with um, an imagined client and um, an imagined commission. So they have to learn all of these things to be able to do this commission for this client. Mm-hmm. And it's an integrated way of working. It's an integrated way of inquiring. And my daughter was still here when we were doing that. So um, that's very much a memory of that. So it actually must be further back than that now. I'm mm-hmm. thinking she's so it's been a longer journey than I think um and the reason we started that was because we had this wondering around our Māori learners particularly and our boys um that we were doing inquiry what we thought really well and we Mm. thought we were really exciting we were trying really hard but you always had these fringe kids that didn't engage and so Mantle came out of that and the minute we all started trying mental of the expert the engagement levels lift it because it's very much a narrative mm-hmm. so there's no burden to write there's no burden to perform a task mm-hmm. and it's all imagined by them and they can have voice through it and they can change it's like a pick a path book yeah you know never a defined outcome so that was incredible and when 
that had made such an impact on learning, I thought, well, what if I posed it through one curriculum area? Mm. So my wondering was, what if I posed um, mental as my mode of working through mathematics? Because for mathematics, I felt I'd become a bit... I just felt it was we were doing a good job but we weren't I felt that I was yeah I wasn't I didn't feel I was doing a great job anyway when we did maths PLD and we came about the problem solving approach number agents further developed from there Mm -hmm. so yeah it was really just it was a bit of a hunch and and it worked incredibly well and it's morphed and changed and become more of the children's thing than it was. It was a bit teacher director to start with, but it's much more there. Voice it is also like a pick a path book. So one session will end not where I expected to do often. Um, and you have to be a bit flexible, or probably a lot flexible. Mm-hmm. It's just magical and dramatic, and and it's yeah, it's awesome. But it's still maths teaching at its at its best, which is awesome. So mm-hmm. that's where that came about. Just seeing the mantle of the expert change learning I wanted it to because it was across it was across all curriculums but you met in it and literacy still kind of stood outside of it mm-hmm. so I wanted to capture it through that way so that's how that was born mm. and how's it working now in your school has it evolved has it changed the number agents is something I do and then the teacher um that um that takes our year ones and two so I've got year ones to to twos mm-hmm. and only teacher has year ones to threes and so forth and mm-hmm. um, they've all evolved it to work for themselves they don't do it as as I do it mm-hmm. um but for um myself it's evolved hugely and mm-hmm. it's become a lot I guess it's reflected my journey through play because I used to plan a lot mm-hmm. and now I kind of have in my head what I want and I can, yeah, it's completely off um, off the cuff sometimes. But I know what I want, but it's not, there's no restriction of on Monday we're going to do this and on Tuesday we're going to do this. And, um, and I know the characters I'm going to bring in and I know what the intentions are, but where the children take it is up to them. Mm-hmm. And I guess mantle has evolved like that for the seniors as well because it's very much their playful way of working. Um, it's become much more just embedded into what they do. Yeah. How do you hold that role of being a flexible teacher and letting things roll? I think it takes time. Um, And so I always say to people when they visit here, just uh, think that it took me five years to get here and well, probably longer, <clears throat> depending on where you start the journey. I don't know where the beginning is and there's certainly no end. And there's, I guess, we slowly removed things. We slowly began to trust ourselves in terms of and actually assess things or where's the value in this for the child. Mm. And if there was no value for the child, then it got ditched. And and trusting that without it, they still did fine. And in fact, they did better. And then just slowly, gradually peering back what we did and knowing that we don't actually have to have everything written down for the week on the Friday before it happens the following week yeah. to make it successful. And I guess um, as a as a teacher, knowing what is vital, what is absolutely important that will happen in that week, mm. and then and then just slotting it wherein it fits. Mm. 
Um, but I guess it is, it's just trust. Mm-hmm. And, I, and across our staff, there's high trust. And we don't all backward plan. Um, mm-hmm. So we're all at different parts and stages of that journey. Um, but, I, yeah, it is knowing. And we work collaboratively because uh, we've got three of us in the classroom with 44. Mm-hmm. So um, there's ways and means of us knowing what's going on without having to script everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It kind of yeah. feels like it's taking risks as well, and then like, I'm imagining things don't always go to plan, or <laughs> you know. Yeah, it is taking risks, and I guess um, risks in our abilities, I guess, more than anything in mm-hmm. terms of um, trusting each other, and then I guess to in terms of not worrying if say if we don't get to storytelling that day that the world is not going to end Mm. and if we don't fit phonics and it's not you know that's fine we'll do more the next day it's not a big deal I guess that trust in terms of it's a term Mm. um, rather than a week and and what we're aiming to fit into that will fit in where it does but it doesn't like your week doesn't all go to plan all of the time and then we follow the children's interests so often that um, we can completely go off track, and that's okay. Mm. Yeah. If if we were to walk into your classroom and just watch you, what would what would you be doing? So a lot of the time, I'd be working. Um, depending on what time of day it was, sometimes it's individual. So mm. we have our children all on individual developmental programs so they'll have little developmental goals so each one of us has um about 10 to 12 children that we're in charge of guiding Mm -hmm. their development and so maybe working with them with their goal and monitoring where that's at it could be if they're up to reading it could be reading with them because we Mm -hmm. do that twice a week with every child that's up to reading and then it would probably be uh taking lots of photos and lots of videos madly and madly putting them on seesaw and then a child coming up to me and saying you've got to see me swing on the monkey bars so me walking outside to see them swing on the monkey bars I can get down the pole come and see me go down the pole look I can go up to the top hut now come and watch me so a lot of it is just kind of I guess like a homeschool parent Mm. Become, there are moments where we are working with an individual we don't do small groups we either do individual or whole class um, we sometimes will pull them out in like bigger groups if we're, if we're splitting into threes but most of the time all children are either required to be there or not so they're all playing or not and um, we don't do the <clears throat> withdrawing one writing group or the other's play or anything like that so yeah it's it's very flexible and a lot of the time you feel like you've sat on the mat for a bit <laughs> and then sit up and, and you go and paste photos in the book so you because you want to talk about them or yeah it's just real flexible wow and so can you talk a little bit about how your journey into becoming a principal yeah so that was a really weird journey and something I'd never intended and it's not a job I'd do in any other school it's not something I wanted to do in fact it's interesting so I came here and I'd already had a little person um, uh-huh. and, and unfortunately oh not not unfortunately fortunately we had another little person on the way and I hadn't realized when I came here but um, 
yeah, so I got the job of DP after I came here as a teacher. And then my principal, who'd been here for 17 years, because there's long principalship in this school, really, um, decided he was going to Team Solutions mm-hmm. and working as an um, advisor. And so we got a principal reliever in, um, but I actually did partial, she could only work partial days, so I um, covered for the other days. In the meantime, he decided he wasn't coming back. And then basically I was bullied into it by the staff. (laughs) 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 But it's no romantic journey. It's like, well, okay, I will. So there's no like, oh, I really aspired to be a leader. And there's no magical story in that. It's just um, I felt... Um, I've always felt really emotionally connected to this place, uh, although I didn't. This wasn't where I grew up as a child or anything. I'm a beach person, not a bush person. But um, I've always felt a real ownership and a, um, yeah, an emotional connection to the staff and the children here. So when I think they felt worried about the unknown, which we all do. Mm-hmm and wanted me to fill that void, I guess it was it was natural that I I step up. And so the the agreement I made with the board was that I mean obviously I went through interviews and things like that, but the agreement mm. I made was I would retain my teaching component. And if I couldn't then I didn't want the job. So <laughs> that's why I've taught. Um, <laughs> what, what I've come in for and I've always said that when we pay our mortgage off, someone else is tagged in. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back to the classroom. <laughs> so being in the class is where you had is. Absolutely. <clears throat> the kids and um, just watching them and being so proud of them. And ever since we started this journey and actually got into developmentally appropriate stuff and we've allowed ourselves to keep your toes now. So we just keep them developmentally. So I had children previously would have seen blossom, mm-hmm. that magical age where they start to boom. But yeah. we do now and I, I really get that because it used to be we'd pass them on and then, wow, they do so well. Yeah. We didn't ever see that. Um, now I get to see them really grow for those. I mean, we'll have them for 18 months or so, and they change so much in that second year that we get to have them. And it's so rewarding. And, um, yeah, so I just, yeah, they make it worthwhile. Yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> I'm curious about the play that's happening with your older kids because you hear a lot about play with, the, you know, those mm-hmm. up to three, year three, but what's happening in your school around that? Can mm-hmm. you describe that? Yeah, so it's all a little bit different. Um, there's lots of play and there's lots of opportunities to play. And the seniors are in their, probably the second year of the journey into it. Mm-hmm. And so um, they've become really aware of the need for these, their children to play. So through our Tuakana Taina time, they come down with us and do junk shed. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of opportunities to play with us so that there's social emotional stuff going on. And they have scheduled play-based times that their children would not let them miss. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they would absolutely scream Mary Howell if <laughs> they did not get their play. So this is for your fives and sixes. If they did not get their play-based time, it's, it's what they live for. Our other classes of four fives have just started um, – a day where they go to the forest for the day. So they've started oh, wow. their own little 
periscope. Awesome. And that's um, incredible because we had two very passionate males and we had a lovely parent who said, hey, we've got a bush and it's just down the road. Would you like to use it? And, of course, it was like, okay, of course. So they go to the bush all day and they learn, um, they get a knife license, they learn fire skills, they're making teepees, they're constructing shelters, being led by the children a lot and then that's coming back into the classroom and they're doing lots of learning around around that so their play has become about that on mm. those days and then I mean obviously they weave stuff in that's more student than student voice but that's become primarily their way of working yeah we've only got the yeah, the 10 classes mm. you've kind of always done a little bit of outdoor play though I've never seen on yeah. your like Facebook yeah. page like mud days and things like that yes yeah, yeah. <clears throat> MD classroom day was the way um, we actually the seniors actually saw how incredible it was so mm-hmm. it was the way of actually giving them um, <clears throat> the teachers an eye into how um, competent and um, independent the children can be focusing on their own learning so empty classroom day I think we started three years ago I'm not sure but um the early days were interesting because teachers felt they had to create activities, mm. but they really got used. <laughs> <laughs> we do it once a term, and the kids would do it more often if they could, and we probably um, could if you didn't have everything else to get done. Mm. But, um, yeah, they, they bring anything they want for the day, so they'll bring boxes, hammers, spades, saws, knives, all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. and they plan out their play for the day and if we've got um our lovely caretaker might set up a water slide but usually they make a mud slide of some sort and basically they go for it from nine till half past two and they just eat whenever and they do whatever and actually our staff probably don't need to be here anymore <laughs> i remember seeing a photo of one of the classrooms and it just had all these mud- muddy handprints oh, yeah. <laughs> The adults just really wanted them to tell them not to, but it was like, they cleaned it up afterwards. That was all good. Um, Sometimes you're like, your adult eyes just have to shut for a moment. We had them last time, we had them out of our pole hut, and they'd made this um, mat. They'd try to make mats out of things from the junk shed, like cushions and everything, to um, break their fall. And they were basically diving out of the pole hut onto this cushion thing that they'd made. And 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 it was like I got a great photo, but it was like, hmm. And sometimes you have to walk away and think, they're okay, but but the ones that couldn't do it didn't do it. Yeah. And the ones that were confident did. So I guess that's the trust that comes in is is they actually know what they're capable of. A lot of them stood there and watched. Mm. Um, so they do do things that are, are interesting. But we've not really had any injuries on those days. And if you mm. think about all the tools and things, well, the tools are here every day. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> so is, are you going to extend that to a full school program or is that something that will just stay? Oh, MD Classroom Day is everybody. Oh, sorry. I was just meaning that um, your bush play that you've got, your forest oh, schooling. So, yeah, that that's kind of their thing at the moment. And... It just, um, I've got ideas around that for next year, but mm. it'll just be funding mm. things like that. Because it would be ideal to have small groups be able to visit, um, you know, nurturing time. 
outside, but it all falls down to being able to afford the person to take them. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it would be cool when they get really um, great at doing that, that perhaps we swap classes and some classes got a chance to go as well, um, or that we just spent an hour or two there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. At the moment, it's a work in progress. Mm. Been an exciting work in progress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about your blog and how and why you started it? Um, I actually don't really know why I started it. I I started it primarily for number agents, um, and as a way of communicating with people that wanted to embark on it and then it slowly became I guess I've always had opinions and quite strong opinions and writing's always been something I loved absolutely loved and um I've never had time to write anything of substance but I always wanted to be an author that was what you know Mm. along with the um stand-up comedian and (laughs) the marine biologist and all of that (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it came about, I guess, when I wrote the Number Agents book, it became a vehicle of expressing that so as a way of supporting people that were also undertaking that. And then it became just about my opinions. <laughs> and then it became a, <laughs> a way of my journey. And um, people think I'm mad, but I love it. I love um, just being able to write down what I think. How's it being used? Do you get much feedback? Yeah, a lot of people do. And because I put so much on there in terms of the frameworks I develop and stuff, people do go there and borrow ideas. And and I get a lot of communication through mostly teachers just saying, hey, thank you for saying it. Mm. Um, It's nice to know there's lots of people out there on the same page. Um, Lots of support for ideas like that. I think because I'm in a um I'm in a very privileged role mm. of being a principal. Yeah. Um that that I perhaps have a vehicle to say things that perhaps teachers don't feel they can. Do you reckon that goes back to I remember like something you were saying at the beginning with your daughter and that kind of advocate advocacy for people's strengths, is that mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Is that like you standing up for the small person in the room? Or like, I think, what do yeah, you call them, fringe dwellers? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think it beca- probably became about giving, uh, is it two round national standards? That really frustrated me, that whole narrow thing that was created and done to us. Mm. All of that really, really frustrated me. And the more I became... I guess, learned about the brain and about what worked and about what we should be doing and saw that I didn't have to be that regimented teacher that did what she'd always done because she thought that's what she should do. Mm. I thought, well, I want to give this to everyone else. You know, like everyone should have permission to be the teacher they should be, not who they think they, you know, like who they were born to be. And because I believe teaching is a bit of a calling, there's a special person that sticks at it because <laughs> it's not an easy job. But I guess that's that's always been me. I, I love to be able to speak my mind. And and I guess it gave me that vehicle to be able to say it. And I think Welby Ings really inspired me there. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So that, oh, his work and reading his book gave me a bit of a push as well. 
Oh. I just, I thought, why is no one really saying this? Why are we not hearing it more? Why is it so fringe? Why, when it should be the norm? Why are we dwelling in the dark, dim fringes and doing it on the side and feeling naughty for it? It's ridiculous that this is how children learn. Um, and then, you know, when I thought back to my schooling as a child and we were very developmental and we were very outside and oh. um, I spent a lot of time inside at my country school um, and the things I remember were not of academic nature um, and the teachers I remember were not because they made me sit down and do my times tables. <laughs> they, you know, they were teachers that cared about me, that saw me and knew me and were interested in me and took time to hear me. Um, there weren't many of them and that oh. made me sad. It made me really sad. And then when I thought back to high school, there's a couple. Oh. And that just made me, and that, that my daughter's having that same experience with some incredible teachers, I must add, because oh. they don't get talked about enough. But um, does, yeah, it made me sad that you know, there is a lot of us out there that do really care, and it needs to be promoted more as the most important thing. So, yeah, so it gave me a vehicle for my opinions, basically. <laughs> and I guess it, it's become it's become a way of me helping and supporting others in the journey because mm. I get a lot of requests to travel and to talk and to do PD. And, and that's not, I haven't got enough hours in my day to do mm. my job, travel. And um, I would if I could, but this is the next best bet. And so when people have asked me, I've said, look, I'll make a YouTube video for you and you can play it, but I'm, I can't come. It's oh. just not, not at the moment. So I guess it's a way of then supporting that journey for other teachers. And I know a lot of people read it and use it in their own practice. So if even I make a difference to one person, it's worth it. So what do you... Are you wanting to change the whole system? Like, what, what do you want? What ideally I'd want is for every school, not to be us, because no one um, is ever going to be the same, and all schools mm. have their curriculum and their local, what it looks like, like and an inner city school is not going to be able to do the things that we can do. But what I want is for schools to be developmentally appropriate, and mm. what I want is for them to be ready for students not students to be ready for them and what I want is for every child to be seen with who they are mm. and appreciated for who they are and known and that they can rely on every adult in that place to care and that every adult in that place knows every child and I know that's hard in big schools but that at least attempts are made mm. for those relationships and and that every school should be based on relationships and kindness and caring first and that we need to appreciate what our children are going through in today's world and that we don't know where they're going to end up and what they're going to need but they are going to need to be social emotional capable and they're going to need emotional intelligence and they're going to need to be resilient and robust and they're going to need to be creative and imaginative and um we can't timetable those things in. They don't get timetabled in. <laughs> so to actually give that to our children, our schools need to start being more flexible. Mm -hmm. We need to back back off our teachers and requiring them to do phonics at 19 and <laughs> writing at block. Mm. And we need to stop worrying about what's on our teachers' classroom walls. And we need to stop worrying if the desks are tidy. And we need to stop um, measuring things that make no difference at all. Mm. And we need to trust 
trust our teachers to do the best and trust our kids and we need to be restorative and nurturing places not punitive places and our my vision is that every school would have a nurture room so that every school would have a little grandma's room where those children transitioning or having difficulty or an acute stress response could go and there'd be a fireplace and a, a kitchen and a couch and and that would be the hub for the teacher aides perhaps a learning support um, facilitator and that they could just be there while they were having those stress responses and that then they could transition back to class that every school had that <laughs> would be incredible because I think it would take a lot of weight off the system if we could appreciate stress and the effects of it on children mm. and then I guess traveling up into middle um, and secondary is the same thing you know it's exactly the same thing mm. We're all, so um, those kids just they need to be heard children need a voice and they need to know we care about them mm. um, and we need to stop imposing things on kids and 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 thinking that um, achieved in merit and excellence means anything and stop stop them angsting about it and just let them do things that are going to help them later on and then opening them up to what their strengths are because a lot of these kids don't know Mm. They sit within the system and they treat incredibly well. They leave school, they've got no idea because mm. they're told what to do. And they, um, yeah, they often those ones don't do as well as the ones that have had to fight their way through. Um, and, you know, on the big scheme of things, it's um, mental well being that really is my passion and the suicide rates in our country. It really bothers me because mm. I think that. I know that we say, look, we're teachers and we can't be burdened with everything. You hear that all the time. We can't just pass another thing on to us. We're teachers. We, yes, we have those children in our classroom for a significant amount of time. Yes, we are teachers. And exactly, that's the answer. We are teachers. And if that's what we need to teach and if that's what we need to facilitate, then that's what we need to facilitate. Because, you know, who else is in such a good position? Mm. Nobody I can think of. <laughs> So it is hard and we get, do get a lot as education passed off on to us. But I think if we had permission to say, hey, this is what we want you to do and we want you to focus on this child being happy. Mm. Um, and if you don't have a timetable for this week, that's okay. Then I think we'd see teachers able to do the things that actually matter. Because if a child is happy, they will learn. Mm. Children don't opt into not learning. <laughs> That's just not what they do. Um, we're curious human beings. Mm. How can we empower, like, is it just teachers that need to be aware or make this change, or is it the community? Or I think it's everyone as a whole in terms mm. of children expect of them. You know, they're so structurally timetabled beyond an end of their life gymnastics on Monday, swimming on Tuesday, computer coding club on Wednesday. We feel like we're giving these things to better them, mm. but actually we're not. Because here's a child said, I want to go to this and I really want to spend my time doing this. Probably not. And they may have. And that's cool. You know, my boy plays golf and he loves golf and that's his choice. But um, I think we all need to get on board with actually taking some stuff out of their lives. It doesn't mean they're not responsible for things. It doesn't mean we can't expect them to be independent mm. and do certain things. 
but let them be outside and let them be kids and let them be bored, really. Um, and I guess from my perspective in terms of parents and parenting is they worry so much about their child and being appropriate and mm. we don't, like tantrums are not okay, it's incredibly embarrassing, but actually they're very normal. And we now, you know, pre-five-year-olds have tantrums in the supermarket. Everyone's had their pre-five-year-old have tantrums. Mm -hmm. and I guess they're raising awareness about big feelings and why they're okay and how to deal with them mm. is really important because we, we teach our kids it's not okay. So there's kind of a connection between teachers and parents there, eh? And, and teaching and parenting and empowering that parent that they're the first teacher, really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And and stop pressuring, feeling like they need to be ready for school. Mm. Because, yeah, I mean, there's certain elements of parents, parenting we want to be doing, like reading stories and loving them, allowing mm. uh, them time to play. But sitting there and rote learning your alphabet isn't a valuable use of their time. So, you know, it's just, I think taking that weight off parents really helps them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love how you said at the beginning how school needs to be ready for them. Like, it's just so cool. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And it goes at every level, every level. Yeah. Hey, we're well, just finishing up. Um, I just wanted to do, if, is there any plugs or anything that you want to do a promotion for your blog or anything coming up that you want to plug out there or PD that you're like, yes, go do this? Um, in terms of PD, the, the thing that's been absolutely groundbreaking for us, and it's not PD because it's not really offered, um, <laughs> but it's stuff we've been finding out a lot about. Um, we started out with Joseph Dryson, and everyone, anyone gets a chance to go to his attachment workshops. They are absolutely amazing. But then we drove a lot of the learning ourselves. So in terms of understanding children and behaviour, mm -hmm. looking into acute stress responses and attachment um, theory would be well worthwhile and um, for us on the learning side of that it would be understanding um, the impact of movement development on a child's brain and then understanding um, working memory and how working memory is absolutely ne necessary and that we're diagnosing a lot that we could actually put in place things to to prevent any need of diagnosis so I guess that's the only kind of things those are the next few steps that are guiding our our practice and yeah and what's what's your i was supposed to start the conversation this way but i haven't what's your current curiosities what's what's the future oh, where are you heading so current curiosities are really around those things so mm -hmm. we've traveled a path the last couple of years but really understanding attachment theory um and how we can best transition and best um, within school as well and attend, um, understanding how we can encourage that attachment if a child doesn't have a primary attachment. But then understanding the stress um, and the effect it has on the brain is a big thing. And for me, my absolute passion is trying to get some sort of nurture room space into our school. That's very much a pie in the sky at the moment, but it's where I would love to go. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, wanting that space as a hub and a, and a nice place to fall um, for children that are just having a rough time. Um, mm. I think it has powerful, um, it's a powerful opportunity for, for 
for agencies to connect through these nurture rooms if they were in every school. So I guess in terms of short-term goals, it's providing nurturing spaces um, that we can affordably do within our means. Yay! Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, I'm already visualising it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. Let's just manifest yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any quotes or anything that, like, that you've thought of or that come up that you stick in your head or are driving you um, at the moment? Uh, well, I've got the Fred Rod Rogers one beside me because it always reson um, resonates with me. So play is often talked about as if it were a relief from serious learning, but for children, play is serious learning. Play is really the work of childhood. And I think that's the biggest thing that when you talk about play that it enters people's heads that it is frivolous that there is no point, but the learning that's come out of our classroom in the last few years, and I mean, we were talking scientific classification the other day with five-year-olds. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, it's quite incredible when you, yeah, when you actually allow children to guide you and their play to guide you where they will take you. Um, we had a unicorn made out of Cuisinier rods yesterday. And it was <laughs> the most incredible and. It was so funny because we took a photo of it halfway and I did share the halfway photo on my blog. But um, then they once it was finished, it was in, in, insanely good. And we got to talk about how artists work. So they were standing back from it then going into it, standing back from it. So just like an artist. Mm. When they'd finished, they demolished it before mm. we could put all of it because for them their work was done mm. <laughs> they didn't need any affirmation that it was a great unicorn <laughs> they'd done it they'd finished it they moved on and made something else um but we really wanted a photo so yeah i guess it's it's play isn't frivolous and play is something we should still be doing and i guess that's what my blog gives me Mm, yeah my thing was like how important do you think play is for I mean there's so much importance for kids but how important is it for adults and teachers too yeah oh absolutely yeah yeah just those moments to to just be and do and yeah embrace our passions and what we're interested in mm. Thanks so much. Oh man, <laughs> this goes viral. I mean, I could talk for hours. <laughs>